0: You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, ChristianHumanist.org. Something's brewing on the podcast. I wonder what it could be. If you've seen the stage musical version of the Cotton Patch Gospel, you know what and whom we're talking about. But just in case you've never heard that musical, or if you've not read the Cotton Patch Gospels, or if you have no idea about anything I've mentioned up to this point, you're just the person to have a seat and chat with us. Clarence Jordan, Georgia Baptist preacher and the best kind of troublemaker, was preaching and starting up Koinonia Farm and drawing the wrath of the KKK and publishing a new version of the Bible and keeping entirely busy in the middle of the 20th century. And we're we're here to talk about some of what he said and what he wrote, compiled in the recent Plough Publishing House book, The Inconvenient Gospel. Joining me is Brent Dubé, who runs Koinonia Farm today and who will no doubt correct that verb as soon as i shut up here and christian humanist profiles is glad to welcome her on the show thank you for joining us bren uh,
1: thank you very much i i, I will uh, uh correct you my my title here is a director
0: mm-hmm.
1: but but that just means every single person here directs me <laughs> <laughs>
0: very good very good that's
1: how it works
0: so very good um, I'll pause before we get into it and say that if you want to listen to, if, if you after you've heard this, you want to listen to, to some more about Clarence Jordan, uh, Danny Anderson recorded an episode about this same book uh, with the book's editor, Frederick Downing, over on his show, Sectarian Review. Um, I'll put a link to that show up on the show notes, but these two episodes should complement each other nicely, and I encourage all of you listeners to look in uh, on that episode. I'll put a link in this episode's show notes for it. Bren, I want to start with some of Jordan's preaching, and then from there, we can kind of back into his biography and to the ongoing work of Koinonia Farm, and hopefully that'll all make sense as we roll along. So here's my starting question. When Jordan addresses the American Baptist Convention towards the end of his life, he says that resurrection is not a promise, but a presence. And uh, that that alliterative phrase says a bunch about his work. How does that contrast between promise and presence help us to understand the shape of his written work, his activist work, and his community building work?
1: Well, uh, very, very early on in Clarence's life, um, he really, uh, he stressed that God became man. God came to us He set up his tent with us, and he's still here uh, with us. And um, that this, I think Clarence got a little aggravated in his great southern uh, uh, way uh, to uh, the church, um, putting Jesus up in heaven, getting Jesus out of the way, making him so divine and not the, the the, the guy with dirt under his fingernails and, and who who walked this earth and Clarence felt that uh, he was still walking this earth and uh, so you see that in in um, um, in everything I think that he wrote uh, the gospels that you mentioned uh, he he uh, placed in the in the south in the in the 1950s. He's trying to get through to people that God is here, God is real, and we need to put on the mind of God. Get on with 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 our work. Uh, so you see that in his writing, uh, you see that um, in in the he, he was a man of of uh, faith, and he felt like you 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 live it, you do it, you uh, it's not something that you. Um, wait until you die, <laughs> that right now there are, there are things to 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 be done. Uh, here's a quote from Cotton Patch Gospel, uh, 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 no, Cotton Patch Evidence, a, a book written about the early history of Poinonia. Um, and he says here, the resurrection places Jesus on this side of the grave, here and now, in the midst of this life, the good news of the resurrection is not that we shall die and go home with him, but that he has risen and comes home with us bringing all his hungry naked thirsty sick prisoner brothers with him so um the, the he wanted the the church to to be the the evidence that the that the grave uh was vacant and uh so by putting on the mind of Christ by by walking in Christ's shoes um uh, he's real and he's here and he's, he's now. So I get very passionate about, <laughs> about so much that, that Clarence uh, shared with us. So
0: absolutely. And I mean, one of the, one of the good things about, you know, that contrast, I think, is that it puts him outside of so many 21st century disputes between, you know, the resurrection is purely a sort of social psychological um I I don't even know what 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 noun to call it without without demeaning it, but uh, the resurrection is very real for Jordan. I'll put it that way. Uh, and you know, in fact, his criticism of uh, you know so many of his moment is not that they uh, believe too much in the resurrection, but they don't believe enough in the resurrection.
1: Correct. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, let's go back to uh, Jordan's early biography now. When Clarence Jordan hands over his weapons and leaves the ROTC in his University of Georgia years, how does the Bible relate to that move? And and what does it help us to see about the ways that Jordan relates to the Bible and to American Bible readers?
1: Well, uh, obviously, he was a young man uh, finishing up his uh, undergraduate degree at the University of Georgia and he had felt something stirring in himself of course he was a good a good boy of the south uh and he had grown up in church grown up in revival meetings he was southern baptist and he started you know reading scripture and he started memorizing uh again he probably did it as a as a child memorizing uh parts of the uh, sermon on the mount in particular and um And it just worked on on his heart. And there's this story, you know, he is, you know, decked out in his uniform and his big black boots, and they are um, out in the woods. And uh, he is told to uh, uh, what to do in this exercise. And he was riding on this, this, this Bold black steed, and he was to shoot a pistol at a cardboard dummy, and then with his saber, stab um, a dummy, a straw filled dummy. And as he was doing this, he kept hearing words from the Sermon on the Mount. And they didn't, what he was doing didn't match with what he felt Jesus said. So he literally uh, took the words of Jesus. And said, "This is it. I I can't do this. I'm not putting on the mind of Christ." And so he got off of his horse and uh, uh, resigned his his commission. So,
0: yeah, I mean, th- this is interesting because I mean, this is if I remember right, and correct me if I don't remember right. Uh, this is in the height of World War II, when I mean, uh, you know, patriotism was arguably at at one of the high marks in American history, and you know uh for jordan i mean you know that kind of atmospheric uh devotion uh to the cause to the to the war effort uh just had to take a back seat to what jesus says in matthew
1: yeah not, not yet um he he um uh the war hadn't started yet but um uh, in fact when it did start he was like i think well i mean it started. Uh, the year he founded, a year after he founded, uh, uh, a year before he founded Koinonia. And okay,
0: that, I, that that's the year that was in my head, so I, I got yeah. the chronology wrong. Thank you for correcting that.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, he was then too, too old uh, at 29, at 30, he was too old to be uh, drafted, but he wanted to be drafted so he could, say, uh, become a conscientious objector.
0: I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Well, Brent, I discovered in our conversations before we schedule our recording that you're familiar with the stage musical version of of uh, the Cotton Patch Gospels that I saw 25 years ago in Tennessee. Uh, and I have some listeners uh, who doubt me when I say that this thing exists. Some of them think I'm crazy. Uh, so I want you to confirm first of all that it does exist, and then say whatever else you want about it because. Uh, that was my first uh, encounter with Clarence Jordan, and uh, you you know the musical better than I do because you watch it with some regularity. Uh, tell us about this musical before we get into the book.
1: Yes, yes. Um, it does indeed exist. It was an off-Broadway uh, show in New York, and it's been touring... Uh, virtually ever ever since and a lot of different places actually put on the I'm very I'm I'm, I'm good friends with the creator and writer, the adapter, uh Tom Key, uh, who is an incredible uh, performer. And uh yes, we watch the we watch the musical three times a year. We're lucky that we still have a recording of it. Uh uh, it's not being printed now by the Chapin estate. Harry Chapin wrote the music and lyrics for it, and um, so it's it's real. Uh, uh, Tom Key performed, adapted it, and performed uh, Cotton Patch Gospel uh, for several years before it was turned into a musical, and so he did a one-man show of it, and then it was expanded into a musical, and it is it is adapting Clarence's um, Cotton Patch Gospel set in the South. Atlanta is is uh, Jerusalem. Uh, Gainesville is is um, uh, Bethlehem. Yeah, it's it's um, uh, uh, it's quite a quite a show. Yes, I I enjoy the musical very much.
0: Very good, very good. Both my kids incidentally were born in Gainesville, and I. You know, my my oldest was born about eight years after I saw this gospel, and I and I found the opening number of the guy of the musical playing in my head as we were yeah. driving to the hospital. So I, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I hadn't.
1: Yeah, it's one of those music. It's one of the that, that music is 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 one that sticks with you. We we find ourselves humming it all the time around here at the farm.
0: Very good. I I don't think I had thought about it for eight years, but uh, on the way to the hospital, I thought, oh, something's something's brewing in Gainesville. Uh, So anyway, I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, the Cotton Patch Gospel and also generally Jordan's use of the Bible. And you mentioned it earlier that, uh, you know, in his version of the Gospels, you know, Washington, D.C. is Rome, Atlanta is Jerusalem, uh, Gainesville is Bethlehem. And, I'll confess, you know, when I when I was at the University of Georgia, much later than Jordan was,, uh, you know, I was educated to be a historicist to pay attention to the particulars of the moment of, you know the 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 composition and reception of any literary text. It makes me a little bit crazy when people do that to the Bible and, you know, set it in Atlanta or you know, anywhere else that didn't exist in the first century AD. But Jordan has his reasons why is jesus born in gainesville for jordan <laughs>
1: um i only have i can only speculate about about that I, you know i have done a little bit of writing myself and uh choosing the setting sometimes they choose you sometimes uh you choose them and um in um so i don't know if this is true i'm using my imagination very much like clarence did uh speculating this way uh Gainesville is I understand is the chicken capital of the world
0: I can that confirm correct? that I can confirm that <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like I said yes. both my kids were born there so yes. I, I can confirm
1: yes yes and here at uh Koinonia, there was a economic boycott after after the violence didn't drive Koinonia away there was an economic uh boycott and uh Koinonia had introduced the uh, Poultry Business to South Georgia and had shared our knowledge, his, his knowledge, Jordan's knowledge, all you know people the people of the community's knowledge. And then all of a sudden the boycott happened, and um, no one would sell to or buy from Corineas. Uh, uh, so overnight, the poultry business was the Corineas poultry business was done. Uh, they they wouldn't even accept the chickens Quanani wanted to give the chickens to people they wouldn't even accept the chickens and so quanani ended up having to uh slaughter uh 4000 chickens and uh so i don't know if that was why he he chose that you know the slaughter of the of the innocents uh, you know you know it's it's like something uh maybe he just opened you know maybe he had some other connection with Gainesville but you know thinking about it i i'd love to to, to kind of go into people's imagination and maybe you know is there a reason why they did that i don't get hung up on that but but uh yeah i i, I don't know if that's the case but
0: uh um. yeah and i didn't have Gainesville in particular in mind but that's a great theory about Gainesville <laughs> I, I i just you know uh when i read you know the cotton patch gospels You know, I mean, and I see that, you know, the Pharisees are Southern Baptists. I'm thinking, okay, I mean, I'm I'm thinking about the, you know, 500 year history of the Baptist movement and how that makes no sense in the first century B.C. or A.D. and so on and so Mm -hmm. forth. And I I have to check myself. And by the way, I may recognize this as a vice. I have to check myself and let Jordan do his work. Mm -hmm. I, uh, you know, because my my own, uh, like I said, my own historicist training gets in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, um, I mean, he just wanted to make it make it real, uh, and and kind of hit people upside the head. You know, you're making you're you're making this soft image of of Jesus, and and you're not getting to um, what he is. He was a revolutionary, and he is he wanted us to to live and be and do something, and by you know kind of putting him aside. Oh, he's this dear sweet thing over here. Um, so he wanted to make it, you know, and Georgia farmers are, are in the Cotton Beth gospel musical.
0: <laughs> right. Right. And, and one other detail, I mean, that is notable is that, you know, decades before uh, James Cone's book, the cross and the lynching tree uh Clarence Jordan has Jesus die by lynching. Right. And I mean, I, and that I remember, you know, seeing in the musical because again, that was my first, Uh, introduction to Jordan and really thinking okay I mean that that is a poetic statement Uh, well and I hadn't attended University of Georgia at that point so I I didn't have the hangups that I do now
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it's a very very uh, uh, I mean I've watched the film uh, three times a year and I've seen live stage productions and it still um, hits me hard
0: Well, we are talking about an edited collection of Jordan's preaching and writing today, and one comment that Frederick Downing, who I mentioned earlier, makes in his introduction is that Jordan's take on race and white supremacy still rings true in the 21st century. And I'm not so sure about that, so I wanna hear your take on it. When I read the text most directly addressing white supremacy, which is chapter four in this anthology, uh, Jordan's cosmopolitan approach to race and racism strikes me as good, and pointed in his moment. But in some ways, it's almost become self-evident to most people in our moment. I'll grant that the Klan is still around. I'll grant that in Charlottesville in 2017, they managed to scare up a couple hundred 20th century style racists for a rally. But most people I know personally, and really I can't think of any objections, I mean, would say that racism is bad, that they would agree with most of what Jordan writes here And most of them would call themselves, or I won't say most of them, many of them would call themselves colorblind in some sense. In your view, I mean, what kinds of things has, you know, work like Jordan's already accomplished in our moment? And what kinds of things do we still need to hear from Jordan on race and racism?
1: I'm going to recommend uh, another book to you. It's one that uh, in our internship, uh, we have a study component is very much a part of our internship and we just finished this book yesterday their their last uh their last study session uh the in the fall internship ends uh tomorrow and it's uh how to fight racism it's a book by uh jamar tisby um and uh in there he has a chart um and um uh it's um, uh, stages of racial identity development, and it goes white identity. One of the first things is that we say white people say they're colorblind, okay? Um, I think um, I think that racism is uh, insidious. And is still so much, so much apart that that we can't even, we don't even know ways that we are being, we're being racist. And um, um, so, I look in Jesus's time. <laughs> Jesus, here's the table. Okay, let's invite Samaritans to the table. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Okay, let's, let's invite Gentiles to the table. No, no, no. We, as a, we have a human tendency to want the table to be people that look like us. One of the first uh, ways Koinonia got into trouble is because Clarence um, Jordan and Martin England um, invited a person they had hired to come and help them on the farm who happened to be Black to sit at the table with them. And, um, you know, we have the prison system, we have the educational system, we have the health system. I mean, I think that uh, uh, racism unfortunately is uh, um, is running rampant, especially, especially right now. And so I think what helps me,, uh, in reading Clarence Jordan's work is, this is not a new problem. This is not a problem when colonial uh, uh, white Europeans uh, came to establish the colonies. We've been, I think this is just a human tendency. And um, I mean, one of our interns, uh, uh, and she happens to be a, a person of color. She talked a lot during the, the. Uh, um, our study sessions when, as we were reading this book about, uh, you know, racism goes both ways, <laughs> you know, between brown and black and black and black and black and white. And, and you know, it's, 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 it's built. Uh, I don't want to say that. It is, let me just say it's a human tendency. Clarence reminds us of that human tendency. He also shows us demonstrates for us, points to, I guess, Jesus is the real demonstration, points to Jesus. Jesus wants our table to be larger. (laughs) And um, so um, just one more thing about that uh, is that parents as a child was convicted by he kept hearing in his church that Jesus loves the little children. Black, white, yellow, all, you know, all are precious in his sight. You know that 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 song.
0: Oh, I know it will. I know it will.
1: I bet I bet you do. <laughs> and um but he looked around and he and he said, That's not what he saw. And I think we can still to this day look around and say, That's not what we see. And um and so, following the way of of Jesus, Clarence Sturden very much believed um, that that's what we should that that's what we should do.
0: And, yeah, and I uh, them, I'm I'm familiar with I I haven't read uh, How to Fight Racism, but I have read The Color of Compromise by Tisby. And yeah. uh, you know what what I find interesting historically uh, is that you know um, let, let's say eighty years ago. Uh, you know, Clarence Jordan's main rhetorical task was to convince Christians not to be racist when they already identified as racist. It seems that Tisby's task is for Christians to confess racism when they deny their racism. So, I mean, I, 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 I hope you understand, I'm not trying to say that racism has gone away. What strikes me is that the rhetorical work of Christians with regards to race and racism has has taken on a very different, uh, a, di- a different kind of work. It's become.
1: I hear you. I hear you. At least the, you know m- many of us realize that it is that it's here. So now, what do we do about it? Uh, what uh, what Clarence would say is uh, take a look at what Jesus did about it. And of course, there's you know you can do that and then not not live it. Um, and uh, I I I think we can't read too much um, uh, to help us um, overcome uh, racism and fight racism. So whether it's Jordan or Tisby or whomever, I think it's it's very important to educate ourselves. And, very good.
0: Uh, very good. I want to turn to Jordan's theology of enemy love, because this is this is one of the places I found some tension in his writings. On one hand, he does grant at the end of the section that when Jesus loved his enemies, they still killed him. But in other passages, he st- he seems to treat neighbor love as something that the nations all must learn or else perish. So should I read Jordan here as conceding that the nations will in fact perish? from their nuclear neighbor hatred or am i right to see some tension between that sort of what i think of as a liberal progressive eschatology where human beings figure out ways to save themselves and on one hand and then an apocalyptic sense that the world's lies are just too thick for most folks to ever see through on the other hand is that tension there or am i am i inventing that tension
1: um Again, uh in ways that I probably uh, don't understand uh Jesus uh well, Clarence was always calling us to put on the mind of Jesus, and he didn't say it was gonna work uh to that that our enemy would suddenly love us. He didn't say that putting on the mind of Jesus. You can put on the mind of Jesus and and go to the cross like like Jesus did. I don't think he I don't think he probably dwelt too much on the outcome. It's just that if we call ourselves Christian, then we need to put on the mind of Jesus wherever that might lead. And um and Jesus said love your enemies. So do it. <laughs> that he he really felt like if 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 christianity if christians would take on the mind of jesus and uh, one example uh he um like and so, and you know and somebody could could criticize this because he wasn't there he wasn't in the middle of it but he said um that how in 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 germany if the christians had Put on the star of David and gone out into the streets with their Jewish brothers and sisters that you, you know, they probably all would have been killed. But then you're doing what Christ said to do, Uh, because you have you, 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 uh, you have this. (laughs) uh, I think he was really frustrated with. the church, with with Christians, because we have this incredible God-man, and why don't we follow him?
0: That makes, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I want to talk about koinonia. It's not just the name of the farm, but it is a a theological idea. It's It's a word in the New Testament that, like so many others, Jordan insists on translating into work and into forms of life. So when he writes about common property, which strikes me as a good translation of the word koinonia in Acts, how does he distance himself from what he calls Russian communism?
1: Well, uh, Russian communism, I think, was a violent movement. I don't think uh, God is anywhere in it. and I think he just continually goes back to uh, the source. Uh, he goes back to the word, capital W, so to, to Jesus. But he also goes back to the book. He goes back to the scripture. And he looked, I mean, what, I mean, act, the Acts of the Apostles is what he wanted to live here uh, at Koinonia. Let's go back to how the early church lived. So um, maybe the communists were, uh, copying the acts of the apostles, and then just taking God and <laughs> out of it, and certainly taking um, the the uh, uh, nonviolence out of it. So, uh, I mean, he just, uh, you know, I believed he read it, and he believed it, and he tried to live it.
0: On that same note, uh, in his talk, uh, Jesus, leader of the poor, uh, in chapter 7, Um, Jordan cast Jesus as, you know, uh, certainly one who is among the poor, but also as a a man among men, someone who can break mules and who's not a wimp. And certainly those are images and tendencies that folks have found ways to abuse. So in your view, I mean, when we read Jordan and we read him, you know, uh, pulling on this, these ideas of, uh, you know, 20th century masculinity, um, do these still, have the potential to lead in good directions in our moment? Uh, or, I mean, you know, do we need to do something else with the uh, Jesus, the manly man passages in Jordan?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I certainly did, don't think he uh, meant uh, um, uh, some of the things that that we... Uh, I don't think he meant chauvinist. <laughs> I don't think he meant misogyny. <laughs> um, I think he this was a, a coming again, uh, as I've shared, that, that Christians had kind of pushed Jesus aside and gave him blonde hair and blue eyes and just made him very pretty and just put him in a corner, or put him up in heaven and we'll see you later. Uh, you know, I'm going to die and then I'm going to come shake your hand. Uh, No, Jesus, Jesus was right here. He smelled bad (laughs) on days, some days he, he, uh, he was real and by goodness, he's still here and, uh, and we should be, um, you know, I mean, there actually i think his image of of uh, well not his image out of scripture i mean a mule a mule was a common a common animal it was the you know it was the uh, you know but i think he just really was irritated meek and mild had been um uh, had been translated not uh, he said you know um uh meek was used what two times in scripture one was for Moses when "Let my people go," and the other was was uh, Jesus, and it wasn't. And, and we have a we have a way of just messing up words in the in especially in the English language. And so he was pointing out it's not meek the what the way we define it today. It was uh, a leader of a res of a, of a movement of a revolution.
0: So right, right. I'm gonna go to another image of of. Theology uh, among progressive Christians that I know, and that is theology from the bottom up. I mean, what they usually mean by that is uh, doing theology, you know, starting with the worship of marginalized communities rather than from, you know, the ecumenical councils or creeds or things like that. Um, One of the interesting things that I found here uh, is that, you know, when Jordan uh, writes about uh, theology, uh, you know, obviously, he, he I don't think he's trying to participate in these deba- debates that happened decades after his death. Uh, but his 1948 Young People's Quarterly article starts out by saying that Christianity does not emerge from the bottom up, but comes down from God. So, I mean, so that our listeners, you know, when they go out and get this book and they will go out and get this book, uh, right. you know, they don't get the idea that he is weighing in on debates that he that hadn't happened yet. Um, why is it that Jordan wants theology to begin from God and come down to us?
1: It's good the, uh, again. The incarnation: God became became man. And what did God do when He came to Earth? Uh, he went to the poor. He went to the outcast. He went to uh, the prostitutes. He uh, so um, it 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 uh, but it wasn't. Um, um, oh, we just go live with these uh, people, and they'll all be saved. We don't save, and the word I I, I think he stresses that the word means rescue, uh, and we've sort of messed up with how we use the word saved. But that's another discussion <laughs> another time. But again, it's just going back to the fact that that God did not have to become man. God did not have to come. To the earth the incarnation happened and what did he do what did jesus demonstrate and um uh and that's what well that's what we are called to be and to do
0: right right and and you know uh and again you know uh neither one of us you know is a uh, is trained in 20th century theology to the extent that you know someone who does that professionally would do but i'm still curious um you know the extent to which you know Jordan is responding to, uh, you know, sort of a a what I think of as a, a a liberal German theological tendency to say that religion begins from human experience and then we sort of project visions of God out there. I mean, I I, I want to hear Jordan here saying, well, no. I mean, when we do that, uh, you know, then we end up saying that the people around the table are the ones like us, but God is coming down from above and saying no, your imagination isn't big enough to anticipate what God is doing. Right,
1: right. Yeah, yeah I'm probably I,
0: projecting, I, listeners. I'm probably projecting, <laughs> but it's a good prode- projection.
1: I like that projection. I like it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> very good, very good. Another tendency of the progressive Christians I know best is to call for theologies that incorporate government as an agent of God's work, most notably in the uplift of the poor. Now Jordan seems to live at tension with that tendency as well. So, what does Jordan have to say about Christian love and attempt, and attempts to serve the poor via taxation?
1: Okay, I I believe that that uh, government probably government the only tool they have is taxation. What I think, and i and and I don't think that Clarence probably had um trouble with some government programs. Uh Kwanania wouldn't take um, um, government assistance, like if there was a drought or something, we didn't take government assistance because of of um uh, the pacifist uh, um, you know if we pay taxes, it's going to war, things like that. But the, um, um, again, I think he really felt like if the church, if the Christians were doing what they need to do, like put on the start of David, like, um, like so much of what we're doing. I mean, we do have, uh, um, uh, you know, food pantries. We do have, uh, you know, if we would leave, live simply, it was a lot about radical sharing. If we would, if, we would share and we would live more simply. If we, if we, uh, like, like we do here at Poinonia, we share, uh, automobiles. Um, we, uh, uh, we, we, uh, pool all of our resources, which gives us more to share with other people that, uh, that need it. And so I don't think, um, uh, I think, I think, like again, I don't. I don't think he would have. Uh, government has its government can help, but it wouldn't have to help as much if Christians would just do. <laughs> if if they would live what Jesus demonstrated, so I.
0: That makes good sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and and again, I mean, th- this is a historicist in me coming out, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I kind of appreciate uh that you know i mean jordan gives us things to agree with and to disagree with yeah. so i mean yeah. you know i uh, i i don't need clarence jordan to agree with me on every point because you know i can say all right the things that he really you know convicts me about i mean i'm convicted about them because they are emerging from um uh, you know the testimony of our lord jesus right uh you know this one i might disagree with them on a little bit but you know the reasons i would give are also hopefully jesus reasons
1: Right, right, for sure.
0: This is a book interview, but I'm not talking with the book's editor or the book's author, certainly, uh, but the person who's directing Coinonia Farm. So let's turn toward the, the farm's work uh, since Clarence Jordan's time there. Uh, what's going on at Coinonia Farm these days?
1: So we're still trying to live the life. Um, we are a place of welcome lots of people come here to to visit and we go out and quantity has tried not to be a uh, program heavy we try to be a group of people that are living a life together trying to earn a living by by our farming and by our online uh, bakery business and books that we sell like the inconvenient gospel
0: <laughs> not, no no chickens anymore
1: uh, we do have a uh, we do have a few chickens, but you got to have a human being here that's going to be devoted to the chickens, and uh, so
0: I, I I teach in North Georgia, so I know a lot about the chicken business.
1: That's <laughs> right. That's right. Um, we are um, uh, we're involved with immigration uh, issues. Uh, we are trying to um, do something. Uh, that people are call, calling us crazy, and they but they've been calling us crazy from the beginning. Like um, we, our, our not our, um, our awareness of of things not being right with the environment, the the you know uh, climate, um, uh, the we what we know about in, uh, insecticides, pesticides, herbicides now. Uh, we are committed to caring for our soil and not using those things. So we have uh, an, we're going growing a much larger organic garden, and we're trying to uh, figure out how to. We have one hundred thirty-two acres of pecans. They're, they're our main ingredient in everything that we uh, sell from our bakery. <laughs> not everything, a lot of the things, and we're trying to grow that. Uh, grow them without all those things uh, as a demonstration. We don't know if it's going to work because um, our, our pecan trees were planted a long time ago, uh, except for the the newer ones that we planted, and uh, they get this, uh, um, this uh, fungus called that is called scab, and scab seems to only go away if you if you douse it with things that are bad for the soil, bad for the animals, bad for the plants, bad for humans and um, so we're doing a lot of work in in that area to try to figure out if we can uh because if we learn how to do that it can be a demonstration uh for others maybe other farmers around will will convert to something that is healthier for the for the people that that live around the 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 farms and on this on this planet very Um, good yeah so we we respond to needs and challenges of the times and uh, Um, we quite, we do, you know, we do quite a bit. So, um, the internship, the hospitality, sustainable farming, immigration work, um, going and working at the local food pantry, um, going and being with neighbors, uh, who might need us. Um, so, uh, yeah, just trying to live the life.
0: All right. I've got to ask a side question. Uh, I moved to Georgia in 2002 and uh, had grown up thinking I was eating pecans, uh, but I was informed when I moved here that, in fact, they were pecans, and uh, I, I noticed that uh, you call them uh, pecans, as I learned yes. to call them in Indiana. Uh, you know, are there parts of Georgia that call them that, or are you, like me, uh, someone who has moved to Georgia
1: Yeah, I have moved to Georgia from Texas, and we call them pecans in Texas, but uh, there are some Georgians, because I I listen, because I want to, why are you calling this not pecans? That does not make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) So I listen to Georgians, and some of them pronounce it pecans and some pecans. So
0: All right, all right, fair enough. (laughs) I want to stay with Koinonia's life after Clarence Jordan. So what are some of the struggles in America and in the South more particularly that you think the farm is speaking to particularly well as we roll into 2023? You already mentioned the environmental and the ecological concerns. Are there other things that, uh, you know, America needs to learn from Koinonia right now?
1: Well, Koinonia is a very small, very humble place. Um, We, um, Uh, Not too far from us is a detention center uh, where undocumented people are are put and some stay for a very long time. Some are then transported, uh, deported out of this country to countries of origin that they may may never have been in and uh, certainly don't speak the language of where they're being sent. So we are, um, uh, COVID kind of changed things for us, but but we supply, um, lots of people donate to us for, for this project. We supply uh, the backpack and the change of clothes that they're allowed to take with them when they're put on a plane. But before that, before COVID, uh, we would regularly go and visit uh, with them. All that stopped during COVID, but it's just beginning to start again. So we go regularly and and talk uh, with the people there uh, to try to um, be a kind face to see if there are needs that they may have that we can um, to, that we can respond to. We also are taking up um, a pro- uh, a project that we haven't done in a in a while um uh, court watching going and just being a witness um at at different uh, court proceedings um, and seeing if we can help because you, you that's one place where you see a lot of the the racism take take place and um and so trying to uh be informed of, about what's happening and uh seeing what we can do to uh, to help the people and also seeing what we can do to perhaps help uh, uh, influence the uh in in the proper way uh uh judges and attorneys and things like that um to uh, uh maybe help them be better informed <laughs> so i mean we're not you know we're not lawyers we're not attorneys so i don't want to sound sound Arrogant, but I think it does help to have people go to the to the courtrooms to to watch and and uh, uh, be able to share what is what is happening and what's going on and helping
0: where we can. Very good. I want to ask you about the small community character of Jordan's work and of the Cornelia Farms that you just now mentioned. One recent book that that really fascinated me. Uh, even though I consider it a mixed bag, by all means, is uh, Rod Dreher's 2017 book, The Benedict Option, which calls Christians to organize small communities for the sake of passing Christian faith down through the generations and teaching and living from generation to generation faithfully in a historical moment that doesn't really care much about passing on anything. So as things have unfolded, unfortunately, I think, Dreyer's small community focus has given way to some kind of populist right-wing politics in the ensuing six years, making me wonder why some small communities like Koinonia seem to lead a watching world towards a broader embrace of God's beloved human beings, while others seem to circle the wagons rather than open the gates. I have no idea why some communities go one way and some communities go the other way, I was hoping you might have some insight at it on that. So do you want to take a swing at it? Oh
1: gosh. Um, I bought that book as soon as I heard uh, about it and unfortunately have not uh, read it. That's this, this is my curse. I buy books. And
0: <laughs> oh, I, 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 <laughs> the, me too. Me too, friend. Me too.
1: <laughs> I, again, I think it's been, um, uh, uh, a human tendency to circle the wagons and uh, only be with like-minded people and not invite others to the table and um, at Koinonia uh, we invite we you know everybody is welcome to come um, no matter their background no matter their um, uh, their race no matter their uh, educational background um no matter their faith or no faith uh they come we sit at the table together and um i think um uh i think if we continually do it and i'm gonna sound like a cockeyed optimist but
0: um, (laughs) fire away fire i i need some (laughs) optimism right now
1: (laughs) yeah right right if um if we can sit at table and break spread together and talk to each other, and in, in an environment just created for that to do that, we're going to find we have more in common than uh, than not. And Quantania just keeps uh, keeps doing that. And uh, Kauai was never meant to be an island from the from from the beginning, and we've we've never become one. I mean, it's hard when. Uh, with a community that's so small and we, uh, you know, we have this huge infrastructure. We have all these buildings that were falling down in 42 and they certainly are in 2023. So we're trying to hold everything together, but it's, it's, um, we just feel like, uh, God calls us to, uh, to go out, to just be with people. It's about relationships. Um, and to close off from that, um, uh, it, I, well, I mean, I I think it's dangerous. Um, and, um, um, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a person that, you know, I believe that there can be a community of people and basically what they do is, is pray together and pray for the world and not go out into the world too much. I I certainly believe that. But if you're closed off because the enemy is out there, you don't want to have anything to do with the enemy, you you tend to make more and more people enemies because, because you're not getting to know them. And so they become them and it's us versus them. And I I think we need to to go out and not become an island i'm all for you know small groups of people living together and and uh uh, living their faith and learning about uh you know learning theology learning history learning uh passing that on to their children um but i i like that in a broader
0: uh context i think that's that's what we're uh called to do right and then listeners i I'm still fascinated with that book. Uh, Roger actually came on this show back in 2017 to talk about it. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But, uh, Bren, one more thread that I find admirable in Jordan's writings and work is that he doesn't seem at all inclined to change what he preaches to suit Republicans or Democrats, but insists that Democrats and Republicans need to see what's possible when Koinonia happens and start following Jesus better. So in the last 35 years or so, and I'm, I'm framing that as sort of the, uh, the the resurgence of AM talk radio, um, how has Koinonia responded or how has Koinonia you know, persisted or whatever Koinonia has done? It might be that you just ignored these developments as the political parties, the Democrats and the Re- Republicans seem to be more and more insistent year by year on colonizing the souls of Americans, mm-hmm.
1: um, we have continued to offer welcome. Now I will have to tell you that that um, we have so many people come come through Koinonia, and um, uh, what most people I think leave uh, liking their experience at Koinonia, liking Koinonia. But the people that that have um, probably a gripe about Koinonia are um, fundamentalist, and there can be fundamentalist Republicans. There can be fundamentalist Democrats. There can be fundamentalist vegans. There can be religious fun, fundamentalism. There can be even science. Uh, 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 Fundamentalist scientists. Uh, I think yeah. anyone who's read Richard uh, Dawkins
0: knows about that last group. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so it um I think fundamentalism is a is a is a danger too. We just keep dialogue open. Uh we keep uh uh we keep talking, uh we don't proselytize in in the uh, uh we don't try to make people think it's our way or no way uh we try to we 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 try to live it and and you know, and we're not utopia I mean we're just an absolute mess uh so much of the time uh w- real quick story is that that uh um we'll have guests here we will have had a very bad morning we will be uh, big petty human beings fighting with each other and um and then this guest stands up at lunch. And, and they're saying goodbye to us because they're about to leave. And they say, you know, my life's been changed by being at Koinonia. And we just kind of look at each other. It is not us. <laughs> but Koinonia seems to be one of these special places that God has, not that God doesn't bless every place, but there's something here about the clay or the water <laughs> or something, because um, something uh, something. There's, there's there's such good here and it's not so much the the human being. So we like i say we welcome uh we welcome all we don't get drawn into uh uh you know when people come here and they're trying to convert people to whatever it is that that we believe it it ultimately won't won't work in our uh in our setting because we're here to listen and to be in relationship with people not watering down our christian faith by any means but trying to be in relationship with people and i think i think uh withdrawing from the world or saying my way is the only way uh it's hard to be in relationship with people when that's the, the attitude yeah
0: i agree with that well, Bren, I have been at the wheel for most of this conversation. So in the spirit of hospitality, which you just now talked about, I'm going to let you have the last word. Uh, what do you want our listeners thinking about? Koinonia Farms, Clarence Jordan, or whatever else as we head for the door? Yeah.
1: Well, I would just encourage everyone to to read uh, uh, Clarence's work, um, read about, uh, uh, about him. I, I do think he was... Um, one of the giants of the 20th century and i don't know that a lot of people know that but uh um i think his work is relevant, as relevant today as when as when he was here on earth and um and as we always say and and uh, you've heard these uh words before come and see uh, uh come and see come to Koinonia and visit uh you can't uh do that. Go go look at our at our website. But we're redoing it, so give us time. If you come and look at it now, give us a few few months. We're we're working on the site, uh, working on a new site. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's we're here. We're we're trying to do our our best, and um, we we love to have visitors. So so please please come. We have guest housing. Um, people do come and stay. We have the internship. We have uh, what what we call CSAS, which is come stay a while and serve. We have people that come for um, a month, two months, or three months. Uh, but we also have overnight guests, uh, a week stay, whatever. And uh, we offer uh, days of prayer, weekends of prayer, uh, or just coming and reading a book in a quiet quiet place. So, so
0: come and see. Brenna Dubay, thank you for coming on Christian Humanist Profiles.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Listeners, thank you for downloading and listening in. The book is The Inconvenient Gospel, A Southern Prophet Tackles War, Wealth, Race, and Religion from Plough Publishing House. Christian Humanist Profiles is a part of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our audio editor is Britt Stack. And I'm Nathan Gilmore saying, go in grace, go in peace, serve the
1: Lord.